So back in July of 2018, Kirsten and I took a trip to Washington, D.C. Um, for a few days. And, and one of the highlights of the trip, besides not having our children with us for the first time for a very long time, you <laughs> used to see my daughter's face, um, was that we went to Ford's Theater and Peterson House where Abraham Lincoln was shot and eventually died. And and as we were walking through Ford's Theater learning about Lincoln, I was struck by how his faith played such a central role in his presidency. It's like Lincoln, Lincoln seemed to be de- deeply aware of the fact that he needed his faith in God to live life. And a famous quote by Lincoln speaks to this fact when he said, I've been driven many times to my knees by an overwhelming conviction that I've had nowhere else to go. And after learning about Lincoln and reading that quote, I found myself asking a question. How central is our faith to our everyday life? And I'm not talking about attaining perfection, but we live in this nation where comfort and self-sufficiency dominates our culture. And so therefore, being focused on God and staying faithful to his calling to glorify him in our lives every day is not always easy. But when we live lives of mature faith, faithfulness to God's call becomes much clearer. And that's what we're going to talk about today, because Second Peter chapter 1 highlights this concept so well and helps us to understand what it truly looks like. So let's read 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1-11 through 11 and see what God has. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those, who, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him and through, through, through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in a divine nature, having escaped the corruption of this world caused by evil desires. For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these things, if you possess these qualities in in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind forgetting that they have been cleansed from past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. And you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Okay. Peter begins the book of 2 Peter by making his target audience very, very clear to us. Peter is writing to the church and to those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ. And so, for the purpose of warning us against false teachers and encouraging spiritual growth, multiple theologians speak about the book of 2 Peter this way. 
convinced that the, that the best antidote for heresy is a mature knowledge of the truth, Peter exhorts his readers to have a proper appreciation for prophecy, to live holy and godly lives while awaiting Christ's coming, and to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord. Peter's letter encourages them to keep looking forward with confident hope. See, Peter, and Peter does all of these things by bringing four concepts into view that we're going to talk about. Our precious faith, godly provision, sacrificial maturity, and the promise of mature faith. See, now you're all excited because now all the blanks are, almost all the blanks are filled in, aren't you? See, see I, I got you, Brian, so I, I love you. See, that's how, I know how much you love that. Okay, so first let's break, let's get into a precious faith. And this is verses 1 through 2, 1 and 2. Okay? Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. Now the church that Peter's writing to is far from perfect. They were a group of people who understood the gospel and they and they saw the freedom that it provided. But now they're trying out, trying to figure out how that works in daily life. And in the midst of this, there are false teachers preaching a false gospel, and that caused them to become distracted and confused. And see, and the truth is, is that there are as many, many, many things that can qualify as a false gospel. Anytime something is preached or advertised as more important than Jesus Christ, it is automatically a false gospel. Automatically. And so the recipients of Peter's letter were hearing this exact message, and it caused confusion. Sounds a lot like us, don't you think? Because we get distracted, we get confused, and we have outside voices selling us this false gospel all the time. And so Peter's rebuttal is to simply remind them of how precious our faith really is. It's the very, this concept's so important that it's the very first thing he addresses in the letter. Our faith is precious. It's found in Jesus. It's not something we earn because it's a gift. It's rooted in God's promises and deals with this glorious redemption that makes the spiritually dead alive again through the righteousness of Christ. And see, this is the kind of transformation that causes us, should cause us to view our faith as the absolutely most precious thing we have. But the truth is, is that our tendency is not to always view our faith as something precious because it becomes something, it almost becomes more of an afterthought because we can't see it. And so then, when the confusion or pain of life lands on our doorstep, our faith is the first thing that gets shaken or viewed incorrectly. And see, this is why a faith anchored in Christ and anchored in what He has done for us as opposed to our circumstances is what we need. When, when we miss out on what our faith really is and the depth of that and, and that what it is anchored to and we remind ourselves of Christ's exchange for His righteousness, for our sin, and how His sacrifice rescued us from hell and brought us from sinners, sinner to safe, we, sinner to saint, we start to realize the beauty of the precious faith that we have. Because this reminder should have this profound, alight, profound effect on the life of the Christ follower. And here's why. 
Because if God would intervene on our behalf to save us from hell, he most certainly would not leave us behind when the confusion and pain of life lands at our doorstep. And that, that is so important. Now, for us to, now I realize this is easier said than done. So for us to keep this in the forefront of our minds, we have to recognize that this reminder is found in our knowledge of Christ. See, this is why Peter says in verse 2, grace and peace be yours in abundance through what? Wait for it. The knowledge of God. Knowledge gives birth to understanding because the more we learn about God, the clearer his promises, the clearer his character, and faith comes to us. It's not an easy process because our world is so noisy and so cluttered. And it can often drown out this still, small voice of our Heavenly Father and then combine all that clutter with our flesh and it's easy for us to put our faith on autopilot. No effort, no spirit-led motivation, no passion about our God. And this can happen to any of us. But the problem is, is that when this happens, this world and our flesh begins to erode our hearts in a way that eventually makes us feel spiritually empty. This not only has a damaging effect on your relationship with God and your walk, but it also is going to have an effect on how you relate to one another. If, that's, if that is something that's going on in my life, it will affect how I relate to all of you. Automatically. And so, this is why it's so important for us to grow in our knowledge of God. He's our lifeline. He's our anchor. So being intentional about our relationship with God is the thing that reminds us of our precious faith. It's the thing that drives us back to our faith that we've been given. Now, godly provision. This is our second point. Verses 3 and 4. And I think this is my favorite part of the whole scripture. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who has, give, who has called us by his glory and goodness. Through these things he has given us great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature having escaped corruption of the world by evil desires. Okay. This scripture illuminates a great deal for us, starting with this concept that God has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't feel always feel like I have everything I need for a godly life because I'm not always make, fitting, fitting the bill. But that's not what God tells me here. God says to us, I've given you everything you need for a godly life. And so can we absorb this for a second? Absorb the depth of this promise. God's divine power has given you, given us everything we need to be godly already. What an incredible promise. What an incredible concept. And see, the abundance of that is so overwhelming to me. Because there's nothing we've done to achieve that. There's nothing we've done to achieve to to get this godly life that we've been given. It is a promise and a gift 
that we've received through our knowledge of Jesus and the fact that he has called us to himself. He called us and made us holy through his own glory and goodness. And it has nothing, nothing to do with how deserving you and I are. There's this great Dennis the Menace cartoon that helps illustrate this idea. If you are young and you do not know who Dennis the Menace is, I'm sorry. Um, But Dennis was walking away from the Wilson's house with a friend, with his friend Joey. Both boys, they had their hands full of cookies. And Joey then asked, I wonder what we did to deserve this. And Dennis delivers this, this illustration and this answer packed with truth. He said, look, Joey, Mrs. Wilson gives us cookies not because we're nice, but because she's nice. See, God doesn't give us good things because we're so wonderful. God gives us good things because he is so wonderful. And that is an incredibly big distinction for us to know because our God calls broken people like us and then rescues us from ourselves because of how good and glorious he is. Not how good we are. This is why everything comes back to grace, by the way, when we talk about these things, when we look at God, when we see God, when we see the Scriptures, all we see is God bringing us back to this idea that we were lost and I saved you and I rescued you. That's the entire narrative of the Bible. And it's a statement of victory because the Christian life isn't, made, isn't meant to be lived as a failure. Because God has already given you everything you need to live the victorious Christian life. We just spend entirely too much time trying to provide victory for ourselves through our jobs, through our relationships, through our perfectionism, through anything else that you want to just slot into that idea. But instead of feeling victorious and whole, we end up feeling lost and exhausted. And the reason for this is that this world is a broken one. Wholeness doesn't exist here. It is a complete and utter fallacy. And so of this you can be sure. When you search for wholeness in this world, all you will find is brokenness. Every time. Because Jesus has already provided victory and freedom that we need with a daily encounter with him. And that's why we need that. It reorients us every single day to the power of God's promises. And that, that is what reminds us of that freedom. Now, Peter wants to deepen our understanding a bit. And see, I love it when I love it when the Bible does these kind of things where it tells us something and then it takes us even deeper into the meaning of it, because then we start to really see the heart of God behind things. So look at verse four real quick. Through these, through these, he has given us great and precious promises, so, so that you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. So all of these promises that we've talked about, this grace and peace and knowledge of him, everything we need for a godly life is given to us so we may participate in the divine nature. See, when we become Christ's followers, we become, we become heirs. In other words, we become joint participants. 
in the righteousness of Christ. And see, that's why Romans 8.17 tells us that. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs with God and co-heirs with Christ. Our God is giving us the ability to participate in His nature. Because only His righteousness and His promises can provide the victory and the escape from the world that we so desperately need. Peter's trying to enhance our understanding of God's purpose here because he knows that when we embrace Christ's promises and purpose, the result is a new outlook on the Christian life. And that's what's going to take us into our third point, which is sacrificial maturity. This is verse 5 all the way through 7, I think 7 or 8. For this reason, make, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge, to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. This is about the time in the sermon where I wipe my head. You all know me, so we've done this before, so we're going to just take a second. Peter begins by saying this, for this reason. That's a connecting phrase telling us that because of the fact that Christ has given us everything we need for a godly life, and because of the fact we participate in the divine nature, we should make every effort to add to our faith the following. And that's when he says goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, mutual affection, love. Now we need to not confuse Peter's meaning here. Peter hasn't forgotten about all of these things that he just talked about, about what Christ has done for us and made everything about how we behave. As a matter of fact, it's quite the opposite. Peter is saying because of these things, because of the provision, because of the salvation... Because of all these things God has given you, we should do these things. It's a natural, outpouring, overflowing result of what God has done for you. See, your salvation, our salvation, is completely secure in Christ. So this isn't a checklist for you to stay saved or for you to gain God's love. This is the concept of confirming your calling by living a godly life. The Moody Bible Commentary describes this in, in such a great way, and so I wanted to highlight this. It's to be holy, not to secure an inheritance, but because we already have it, that we sacrifice, not as a penance, but as an expression of praise. See, Peter's giving us a picture of what mature Christianity should look like. It has nothing to do with perfection, but a great deal to do with worship and sacrifice. And this is the kind of list that to live this out, we have to be willing to sacrifice things. We have to pursue holiness. We have to run from temptation. We have to fight off apathy. We have to scratch and claw to persevere, all while running towards Jesus at the same time. This is the process of dying to yourself. And sacrifice comes with that process. And the truth is, is that our faith should cost us something. Because it costs Jesus everything. And if our faith hasn't cost us, cost us anything of consequence at any point, 
we may want to ask ourselves the question of how mature our faith is. Daring to ask ourselves this question is just another step in the journey of growing in Christ. Because this question causes us to fix our eyes on the one who sacrificed for us. Placing our focus on Christ and what he has done for us should cause us to seek out a life of sacrificial maturity. It's the way we express worship to our God. A quote I read this week really describes this well by Lisa Turkhurst. A real sign of spiritual maturity is looking to God for purpose and perspective instead of comfort and convenience. I did not like that quote when I found that, by the way. I did not want to put that in the sermon, but God told me otherwise. See, and the reason for that is this is the foundation of the call to sacrificial maturity found in Second Peter. We can't just settle for this faith that doesn't cost us anything because you and I, we were made to live for more. God has called Freedom Bible Church to live for more. If you are a follower of Christ, God has called you into something more. And we have to look at that call and say, God, what do you have for me? I can't tell you what that is this morning. I don't know what exactly God is calling you to here at Freedom but I know he's put you here for a reason. And I know he has you doing something for him. And I know that he's calling you into more. because, And that's why he has given you enough. He's given you all these things to live a godly life. Because he has something for you. And this is the wonderful thing about it. God loves you that much that he's saying, I want this for you. I called you into myself because I want you to live for more. I have something for you. And that's the question we have to ask ourselves as a church, as a body, as people. Now I need a second because I lost my spot. So bear with me. <laughs> so, the truth is, is that this kind of maturity never occurs if we try to manufacture it on our own. It only comes from a heart that is surrendered to God because we need Jesus every second of every day. There is not a moment of your day that you do not need Jesus. There is not a moment of my day that I do not need Jesus. 1 Thessalonians 1.3 gives us this great picture of this kind of maturity. We remember before our God and our Father your work produced by faith your labor prompted by love and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. The Thessalonian church was this church they are filled with normal people just like us. But look at the verse. Their work, it was produced by faith. Their labor was prompted by love. Their endurance was inspired by hope. And see, Paul is praising them at this moment because their actions were motivated by things provided by God. Because their hearts were rooted in the gospel, their motivation for obedience changes. When you realize that your motivation for obedience is not because you have to behave or reach some benchmark, and you realize that your motivation for obedience is just because I love God so much, your whole life gets flipped upside down. It changes everything. And that's what happened here with the Thessalonian church. Everything they were doing was motivated by the gospel. They were already rooted in what God had done for them, so now it's a whole new thing. 
And that's the motivation. That's what we want. Now, when our hearts are centered on what Christ has done and His love for us, we desire this life of faithfulness. We worship God by living for Him. And that's going to take us into our fourth point. Now, Peter has... This is the promise of mature faith. And now Peter has just challenged us with his traits of sacrificial maturity. And so now... Now he is showing us God's promise of mature faith. See, somewhere along the way, the devil has sold Christians this lie that there's no real benefit to mature faith. And I think the confusion is rooted in this fact that Satan wants you and I to believe that there is nothing more fulfilling than a life full of self-satisfaction. And buying into that is what leads us to believe this falsehood that there are no results when we live out sacrificial maturity. But see, God tells us otherwise. Look at verse 8. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from becoming ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So God makes us this promise in verse 8. If we grow in goodness and knowledge and self-control, perseverance, and all of these things, they will keep us from becoming unproductive in our knowledge of God. This is God promising us that being faithful to God will help us grow in God, which actually helps us being faithful, will help us be faithful to God. It's like this circular effect. And so now the major promise and benefit from following Christ is found in our relationship with Christ. And because it's that knowledge that helps us walk with Him and walk like Him. And our productive relationship with Christ will automatically impact your earthly relationships. When you are growing in your walk with the Lord, every relationship you interact with is affected. It's amazing to see how God changes that. And we're not just talking about other believers. We're talking about unbelievers, too. Because God has this impact on others through you. And so, and it even impacts how we deal with circumstances, because life often feels chaotic. I don't know if anybody can relate to that. I'm thinking by some of the nodding heads that that's a yes. But life can just feel messy and chaotic and out of control. And God is sitting here saying, got this. Stay near to me. I'm in control. And so the truth is is that there are these benefits that when we make sacrifices to mature, there are benefits to glorifying God with our lives. There is a benefit to growing in our faith. The question that we have to ask ourselves is do we believe this or have we been deceived? That's the real question. I'd like to close our time together by looking at Peter's challenge in verses 9 through 11, our calling and response. But whoever has, this is verse 9, but whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort 
to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Okay, so Peter begins with a warning in verse 9. This verse is not describing salvation. He's addressing what happens when we choose to not mature in our faith and grow in the knowledge of our Lord. In essence, our lives are saying that we have forgotten what Christ has done for us. That we have forgotten about the precious faith and the provision God has made for us. Church family, we cannot afford to lose sight of what God has done for us. It is the one constant in a world that is full of variables. Now, verses 10 and 11. Peter combines this calling and our response as believers. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election, for if you do these things, you will never stumble. Paul challenges us to confirm God's choice to rescue and redeem us by growing in Him. But what is amazing here is that is the protection that our faith provides us. Maturing in Christ keeps us from stumbling. In other words, confirming our calling, it's not that it'll keep us from it'll it will keep us from sin, but will also give us this rich welcome when we arrive in heaven. Allow me to share one final quote with you by author Brian Chappell. While God is not pleased with my sin and may discipline me in order to turn me from my destructive paths and practices, His love for me does not diminish in any degree. He gave Himself for my sins in their entirety so that I might have His love in its entirety. Accepting the reality of God's unchanging regard is necessary for us to make progress in the Christian life. I don't know where you are in your faith journey this morning. But no matter where you are, I know I know this for sure. Jesus gave himself for your sins in their entirety so that you may have his love in its entirety. But Jesus loves you way too much to leave you right where you are. He wants you to mature. He wants you to grow. Because you were made to worship Him. That's the challenge of mature faith. That's what we're looking at. Let's pray. Father, we love you so much. Uh, thank you for a morning in your word. Uh, time to hear from you. And to be challenged, Father. Because this is not an easy concept. But we know how much you love us. We know that you care about us way too much to just leave us alone. So we ask, Father, as we embrace what you have done for us, um, that we would seek you out in every way in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have any questions or need prayer, um, feel free to come find me uh, before you leave. Lisa's meeting is going to start in about 15 minutes, is that right? Or 15 minutes, you know, 16 minutes? Anyways, you're dismissed.